these inside your mind. You don't need to raise your hand or, or do anything that would uh, be uncomfortable for you at all. But I would encourage you to consider these questions uh, as I ask them. Again, this will lead us into the text of Scripture. So the first question is this. How many ways can a life be saved? How many ways can a life be... Oh, I'm sorry, how can, that's the second question. How many ways can a life be changed was the first question. I can't even read my own notes. How many ways can a life be changed? Now, this morning you may be here, and something may have happened in the last 24 hours, and, and you're saying, my life is changed forever because of what has happened. Uh, many of us can look at uh, usually September 11th, right, 2001. We think of that date. That date is uh, a date where a lot of things changed, and that's certainly true. Some of you look, consider uh, maybe D-Day to be that day. Uh, or Pearl Harbor to be that day, or, or looking back in history, there are all kinds of days, all kinds of events that have changed people's lives from that point forward. And, and the change that takes place is often negative. Those are some of the examples I just used, but some of the examples are very positive. You know, the, the, the day that you got married. We had a marriage yesterday. It was wonderful, all right? And uh, so we have uh, Christina and Jonah uh, got married yesterday. And uh, we re- rejoice with the family as, as that was just a beautiful, beautiful ceremony and beautiful weather. Uh, other, other changes that come into life are also very positive. So when you ask the question, how many, how many ways can a life be changed? The answer really is many, innumerable probably, as you consider anything that can happen in any one person's life. And the reality might be that your life may change today, after I ask this question, right? There, there's, there's, there's aspects of life that we don't know. I thank, praise God that we have a God who knows the end from the beginning. And we, praise God that we have a God who knows that uh, what's going to happen to us today. You know, the old saying, you know, if I knew it was going to happen, I wouldn't get out of bed. Right? Well, it's true, but God knows, and we can praise God for that. So the second question is, how many ways can a life be saved? And, and the answer to that one is also many, many ways. And we hear stories all the time about how one person's selfless act has impacted another person's uh, life and saved their life. Or maybe many people have done a selfless act to, to save one or many lives. We know that the saving of life, we just have to look in the newspaper and uh, turn on the news, and they always have the feel-good story, and amidst all the other news that it can be depressing, they have these feel-good stories. And, and so we're, we're familiar with the fact that many, many ways lives can be, uh, can be saved. But the last question, the one that I think is intended uh, as, as, as we, a good way of segueing into the gospel uh, presentation in 1 Corinthians 15 is, how many ways can a life be saved for eternity? And it's only one. We're going to be focusing on the uniqueness of the gospel today. It's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that a life can be saved for eternity. We've been in a series called Healthy Church. Uh, We've been in it for quite a while now. We're coming up close to the end of it. And, And when we consider this, it's only through the gospel that a life can be saved for eternity. That's not news the majority of the people in this room. This may, this whole sermon may come across to you as Christianity 101. This may be like, wow, pastor, this is like really basic truth. Yes, it is. But like anything else, go back to the basics is, is a very safe thing to do. But it's only through the gospel that, the, that a life can be saved for eternity. 
Now, we're going to talk all about the gospel today, but I wanted to start off this morning uh, with these questions and then ask you to, to do a little self-reflection. The self-reflection is this, and speaking to, to those that are in the room and those that are joining us online and those who will watch us uh, later, um, I, ask, I want to ask yourself this question. Has your life been saved for eternity? It's not a minor question. I think it is the question of questions. Has your life been saved for eternity? I think it's an important question for us to be challenged with as as we look at today's big idea, which is this. The gospel saves a life. Notice the singular there. The gospel, it saves a life. For what purpose? So that the lives of others can be saved. This is the nature of the gospel. This is the nature of church, the church, Big C Church, since it was established on the day of Pentecost after the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, and and we have the Holy Spirit come and empower the the believers in that that first gathering, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power, and we see this church birthed. How did the church continue to stay alive? By believers in Jesus Christ telling unbelievers in Jesus Christ the good news of the gospel so that they can be saved. And we use this terminology, saved and unsaved. And and if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've never come to a a knowledge that your sin is is, uh, ultimately, all sin is against God. You may have been sinned against in your life by people doing wrong to you, and, and you know what has an impact on your life. But the reality is, you have sinned against others as well, but all sin is ultimately against God. And so as we, we consider this, the gospel saves a life singular, but for, it's for the purpose that the lives of others can be saved. That's how I came to faith. Odds are, that's how you came to faith. I don't think anybody accidentally picked up a Bible, started reading, and got saved. Someone either gave you a Bible, provided you a Bible. Some, someone, someone put the Bible wherever it was that you were located, that you grabbed it. Uh, I told you that my testimony story about how, 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 how I came to faith in Christ through an in, a couple individuals speaking the gospel into my life. And odds are that you have been spoken into. And the question this morning, one of the questions this morning is, are you speaking it into the lives of others? Now, just so you don't think this is a message that's totally about evangelism, it's not. It is and it isn't. We have a principle that we value, and we say it often, and the reason we say it often is so that it will get, become repetitive in your mind, and you will actually understand what we mean. We are a gospel-centered ministry. That's a, very, that's a principle that we should all value, because the gospel is for everyone at every moment. That means it's for unbelievers to come to faith. It's for believers to grow in our faith. And it's not just a one-time thing that we have, and, oh, yeah, I believe the gospel, and, and you know, go on with your life. Nope. It's, I believe in the gospel. I'm going to live in light of what I've come to believe and what God has done in my life, the grace that God has bestowed in my life. I'm going to actually make decisions every single day that will honor God. And the only reason I can make those decisions and do that is because the gospel is real in my life. God has saved me. He has called me to himself. So this idea, all right, the gospel saves a life so that the lives of others can be saved is, is uh, something that I think Paul is trying to communicate, certainly in verses 1 through 11, and, and we'll go on that in a little bit more detail. 
Uh, but I want to also have this statement in front of you. The gospel was never intended to just be a deposit into a person's life. The gospel was never intended to just be deposited into you, Ken. It was never just you, John, just you. And, and I could go across the room, just me. The gospel was never intended to just be a deposit in our life. It was effectual for us. End of story. That is not the way the gospel is supposed to work. That would be like planting a seed in the ground and never expecting anything to grow from that seed. I think it's, it's, it's the idea of, and this one actually, uh, this illustration is actually one that I actually lived out. I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's true. Uh, in my, uh, I just graduated from college, I think it was, and, and I joined a gym. You don't need to raise your hand because I don't want you embarrassed. I'll just raise my hand, right? Has anyone ever joined a gym and then never gone? Right? <laughs> hey, man, thanks, brother. All right. Wow. I'm a, aren't you embarrassed? All right. No, I am. I am. I pay good money. And I joined a gym, and I never went. Um, that seems kind of senseless, doesn't it? I thought about uh, another illustration. would be It's like buying your first car right? So excited to own your first car. And then continuing to, to, to ride on the bus. Like, Why'd you buy a car if you're not going to use it, right? Now, these, these illustrations don't correlate exactly to the gospel because we don't do anything to earn the gospel, the gospel to earn our salvation, right? The gospel is that, that people, it's by God's grace that we are saved. His, his, this, this, this thing we don't deserve becomes real in our life. In our, and so I, I, I thought, let's, better, yeah, let's consider the words of Paul to Timothy, now, as we have the New Testament, much of the New Testament was written by Paul. Uh, Paul's obviously written to the, to the Corinthians. We've been studying that. But notice what he tells Timothy, right? In Tim, 1 Timothy 6, this is in the English Standard Version, all right? I, I chose that version for this morning because it's, uh, it actually has the word deposit in it. New King James doesn't necessarily have the word deposit in all these verses. Uh, he writes, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Um, Paul is saying very clearly, guard this deposit. Now, we're going to talk about what the deposit is in just a minute, but he goes on in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, two times he uses this word as well. He says, um, I'm just going to jump to the, uh, the first, I'm going to skip the first few words, and he says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And Paul writes to Timothy, And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. That word, same word. All right, deposited. Verse 13, Follow, Timothy. Follow the pattern of the sound words that, have, that you have heard from me. Let me make sure I... Uh, let me switch the slide here. Follow the pattern of the words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Entrusted, it's three times. Now, Paul's repetitive as he writes to the Colossians, as he writes to the Ephesians, the Philippians, you know, as he writes to the Corinthians, you know, he says a lot of the same things. But this word is spoken three different times to Timothy, his son in the faith, his child in the faith. And he says, he says, Timothy, guard this deposit. So what was deposited 
to both Paul and Timothy. Notice, again, in this, in this slide, you can see, uh, the previous slide, excuse me, he says, listen, I am convinced that he, that is talking about God, that's talking about Jesus Christ, I am t- uh, convinced that God is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul has something entrusted to him. Twice he says, uh, Timothy has something entrusted to him. All right, this is why you don't sit in the spit zone, right? <laughs> wow, all right, that was embarrassing, all right? So he says, uh, this, this thing that's been deposited. So what is this thing that Paul is talking about? It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you ever get tired of hearing about the word gospel? And if you're uncomfortable with the word gospel, if somehow you're like, it's, it's too Christianese, what does it mean? It means good news. So can I encourage you? Use the word good news in your life. Everybody likes to hear good news. And so uh, it is the good news of the gospel. It is the good news of salvation that God has provided to all sinners that they will just come to faith in Jesus Christ. So we love this gospel. We talk about the gospel. But notice as we consider this statement, the gospel is deposited for the purpose of producing life. Paul to Timothy Guard the deposit, Timothy, as I have guarded the deposit in my life, as I, as I understand the truth of the gospel. And we're going to talk about what the gospel is in just a minute. As I, as I understand what God has given to me and I have received and I have given to you and you have received, guard it. Make this, this gospel thing, this good news thing, part of your everyday life, Timothy, as you seek to be a pastor of a church in Ephesus, as I write to you and encourage you to do the good work, guard it. Treat it as important. And then we have to ask ourselves, the gospel is deposited for the purpose of producing life. That's what happened to you if you call yourself a Christian today and you've come into genuine faith in what Jesus Christ has done. Then, then what's true of Timothy and Paul is true of you. You've been entrusted with words, the words of the gospel. You've been entrusted with the reality of God's grace having redeemed you. You are adopted. You are a child of God. And this gospel truth that you have come to believe, it's been put into you. Guard it. Treat it with seriousness. Make it part of your everyday reality. We make little of the gospel in our lives. Oftentimes, we make little of the gospel. We need to make the gospel big in our life. The real tension for us as we consider uh, this idea of depositing the, 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 the gospel being deposited into us, the real tension we should be experiencing in our Christian life is why so many Christians are willing to accept the deposit of salvation, but then be content to just let it sit there. All right? Now, in the first service, I had this epiphany when I said that. Wow, they're, they're going to think that I, I'm coming down on them. You naughty, naughty Christians. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is, this is part of our realized life. We're in the already but not yet reality of our faith. We are already Christians. We are citizens of the kingdom, but the kingdom's not here yet. And so until that kingdom is fully realized in the, in the coming of Jesus Christ, we have to live within this context, what we call the world. We have to live within our context, which is the culture of the United States, right? And we have to live within this culture, and we have to live out our Christian life in response to what the gospel has done. And it's hard. 
And we still fall into sin, and we still do the things that we don't want to do, and we don't do the things that we want to do. And, and, and so we have to wrestle. This is a real thing. This is a real tension that there are Christians out there, and some of us may be in the room, that we're supposed to live out our Christian life and, and we're spo- you know, we've experienced this, this de- deposit in our life, but we're willing to let that, dispo- that, the, excuse me, that deposit just, just kind of sit there. Now, sometimes when you think about a deposit just sitting, you know, there's a couple things that might come to mind. You know? will, my, will my salvation, you know, the, the salvation, as it sits there, will I gain any interest? Right? That's what savings accounts do, right? The gospel is not a savings account. If you just let it sit there, it doesn't gain interest. It actually just sits there and is not producing life unless it's lived out. It's not a commodity. It's not something you can trade uh, on, on, in the stock market. You can't do that. You can, that's not what the gospel is all about. The gospel isn't something that is somehow just uh, for us. and not. The gospel is intended to be shared with others and to be lived out in community. So the gospel is the good news that that people, you and me, can stand before God in righteousness. Now, we've talk, we talk about this on a regular basis. To be able to stand in the presence of God and, and truly as if our sins had never been committed is only true because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about here. So for us to, to be in right relationship with God, of course, that means sin had to be dealt with, and it was. For there to be forgiveness, there, a requ- there, there was a requirement of a blood sacrifice. A bloody sacrifice. Jesus Christ, he was that bloody sacrifice that paid for our sins. He had no sins to atone for. He was perfect, sinless. And so when he hung on that cross, he's paying for our sins with all that blood. And the only way a person can be in a right relationship with God is if they come to believe that Jesus died in their place on that cross. That was the change that took place in my life. I knew Jesus was the Son of God. I knew Jesus was the Savior of the world. I just had never understood that he had hung on that cross to pay for my sins. It's so rudimentary, right? It's so basic to our Christian faith. But I grew up not understanding that simple truth. That Jesus Christ died for my sins. So I want to just take a moment and consider death, all right? Some of us may be desensitized to death. Some of us may be in a profession uh, where we're around death all the time. I mean, you think about it. Doctors and surgeons and, and uh, uh, those who work in, in a, in a uh, in the mor- I think in the military, it's called mortuary, mortuary affairs, but anyone who's dealing in a funeral home, you know, they're surrounded by death. I've seen plenty of death in my life from both loved ones that I've gone to their funeral. I remember being freaked out the first time I went to an open casket funeral as a little kid. It really kind of messed with me a little bit, all right? But then you get a little desensitized as you go again and again. And then, then you go in the military and you see mangled bodies and charred bodies. And you're like, you know, and, and you're like, like, okay. Almost like, well, that happens every day, you know? But I can also remember the peaceful visions of death, right? Uh, the experiences of, of being around death, of, of walking into a, a, a widow's home as her husband lay on the couch right there. Right there. Very peaceful, right? They hadn't come to pick up the body yet. That's happened to me a few times in my life. And, uh, you know, that's the nature of ministry. But, you know, you may be around death. 
You may watch death on TV. I love movies. I call them shoot 'em up movies, right? I love shoot 'em up movies, right? I know it's not real. I don't like the gratuitous blood. I don't really care for those movies, you know, but I, I do like, you know, action type movies. But you know what? All that kind of messes with us and it, it desensitizes us to this idea of death. And I, I just want to consider this morning that death is real, but death is ugly. The bloody sacrifice terminology that we talk about, Jesus Christ hung on a cross. He had nails in his hands, maybe, maybe right at his wrist, right? But he had nails holding him up. He had nails in his feet. He was scourged. He was bloody. It, it's disgusting. Isaiah 53 talks about how he was marred. How we couldn't even recognize him, right? I mean, uh, it, it's, it's just like, you know, when we come to worship, we worship a risen Savior. Praise the Lord. And Paul's going to spend the rest of the chapter talking about the resurrection. But can we talk about death today? Because you, 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 may, you may never have seen it yet. It'll, it'll happen, more than likely. You may avoid the topic because it just makes you uncomfortable. And I get that. It makes people uncomfortable. But it's a topic that we have to talk about. Consider that. What do you do when death is staring you in the face? What do you do when, when, when someone has just uttered uh, terminal words? You have whatever it is. There is no cure. What do you do? Death is now right in front of you. You know, for a believer in Jesus Christ, we are actually able to process those words in faith, and maybe in a little time, we can process those words a lot easier than someone, I think, who has desensitized themselves to death and have, has avoids the whole topic. Imagine that. I just don't like talking about death. I have, I have someone I'm close with, and, and they just don't like movies that don't have happy endings. If it doesn't have a happy ending, don't show me the movie, he would say. Well, death comes to every life. And it's not a happy ending for many people. It is for a Christian because we know that our life in, that came to us through Christ, through the power of the gospel, right? It's producing uh, life in our lives. But listen, what do you do? Well, I'm going to encourage you, if you're, if you're struggling with that question even today, come to Christ. Because there's an answer to death. It's called, it's called life. Life conquers death. What do you do when you can't get the reality of death out of your mind? Some, some people have the job where they're around it all the time to where they go to bed and they have dreams. Some people have the job where they have to actually pull a trigger or, or do something that takes another life because that's their job, either in the military or the police. And, and you know what? When you take another person's life, it can haunt you. I've never had to do it, but I have friends who have. And, and if they were honest, they would say, no, I, that's something you just don't get over. Because you extinguished a life. And so, listen, folks, I know I'm going long. We're not even to the text yet. Because, listen, why get into a text that's talking about resurrection if we don't talk about what you're resurrected from? Death is real, and so is the gospel. And that's what Paul's trying to convey. He's saying the gospel brings life. 
And it brings life both before and after physical death. And that's why we talk about this, the gospels for every person at every moment. Because it brings life to the unsaved, they get saved, right? It brings life to the dead, spiritually dead, and makes them spiritually alive. Uh, But it also brings life to us as we continue to live out our faith. We are reminded about what God is doing, what God has done, and what God is doing in our life. Why? Because of the gospel. So Paul's major focus in the chapter is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he's primarily focusing on the resurrection from this point forward, I mean, from this text as we go forward. Um, but he begins the chapter with a focus on this one-of-a-kind gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to go ahead, and I'm, I know I've already been long and well into the message, and I'm going to give you an outline of the message, right? But we're going to go much quicker now. All right, so here's a quick outline, verses 1 and 2. We're going to talk about there is only one gospel that gives life. There's only one gospel that gives life. There's only one gospel revealed in the scriptures. I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. And then we see there's only one gospel that, is, that has irrefutable witness, verses 5 through 8. And then finally, we're going to consider there is only one gospel, but, God's, but by God's grace, there are many preachers. Ooh, what do I mean by that? All right, well, we'll get there. Let's go ahead and, and uh, get into this. Uh, I'll just leave the point uh, on the screen there for you. Uh, as, we, as we look at Paul's point, uh, this first point, we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, speaking to the Corinthians, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached you, uh, to you, unless you believed in vain. So let's just look at that. Just a couple words I want to, a few words I want to point out. He starts off with, I want to remind you. What Paul is saying is very simply, this is something they've heard before. Kind of like me preaching a message about the gospel to a bunch of people who already know what the gospel is and are seeking to live out the gospel in their lives or realize that they have allowed the gospel to be deposited and and it's just kind of sitting there. All right? But maybe it's being heard for the first time by someone, and, and so that's always a good thing when the gospel comes in, right? But he, he's telling the Corinthians, I'm reminding you of something. Paul's saying, I brought you the gospel. When Paul went on his missionary journey and he, and he arrived in, in Corinth, he came with the gospel. And he sowed the gospel into their lives. And, and, he, and so it says there that they believed the gospel. And that they, next, so you see, it says, uh, I reminded you, I preached to you, you received it. And notice the third one, he says, and, or fourth, he says, in which you stand. There was some aspect of this gospel reality that they were currently existing, that were currently living out. And what's true of them is true of us. He says, listen, in which you stand. That's why the gospel's good for us as believers. It, it reminds us of what God has done Uh, for us through his son. He says, and by which you are being saved. There's some aspect of this where we have our our definitive salvation, our definitive sanctification, that thing that happened at one point. I stepped from death to life. But then there's this process of maturing in life. And this is what Paul's talking about. And by which you are being saved. You are, it's the process of your growth and your salvation. And then there's this conditional clause that Paul throws on the end. If That's a big word, folks. It would negate everything that is... Listen, he's saying, listen, I'm reminding you. I preached it. You believed it. You're standing in it. You're being saved. You're growing and maturing. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, 
unless you believed in vain. The reality is there are those who have come in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ and they have not submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They've, they've heard the words and they say, oh, that is kind of good news, yeah. But they've never come to faith in it. It's never, it was deposited in the sense, it was deposited in their ears, but they never came to faith. Gospel, the gospel produces life in those who have come to faith and have received life, right? So it produces life in them, and it will produce life in others as they continue to work. So, so they, this gospel is powerful, but it's only good news if a person has come to genuine faith in the gospel. Those who profess with their mouth but never believed in their heart the message of the gospel are still separated from God. Those who profess with their mouth. Oh, I'm a Christian. Pretty common in our day and age. In some countries you'll go visit, you'll be talking to them. They think all Americans are Christians. Just as we think that all people in, in these Islamic countries are all Islamic. They're all Muslims. It's like, no, that's not true. What's true of, of the vast majority is not necessarily true of every individual. And certainly we, we know that there are many people, I know I have many, many people who call themselves Christians, but they don't even have a, a, a basic knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. So this brings us to the second point, all right? So there's only one gospel that gives life. But secondly, there is only one gospel revealed in the Scripture. Why is this important for us to understand? Well, let's, first of all, let's look at the words of Paul. He said, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. As we look at verses 3 and 4, we actually get the elements of the gospel. And so we think this truth, there is only one gospel that is revealed in Scripture. Here it is. Now, you may have learned the Romans Road. You may go to other portions of Scripture. But in a nutshell, here, here's a nice little outline for you, for you to follow. If you want to tell somebody what the gospel is, or if you want to remind yourself what the gospel is, he says it very clearly. It's something that, well, Paul says, uh, I delivered to you of, of, as a first importance what I also received. Paul's saying, I didn't make this up. Jesus taught me this directly. Jesus appeared to him, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but he's saying, listen, what I, was, what I received, I've, I've given to you, Corinthians, and you actually believed it. But notice it was Paul's priority. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. This is what Paul's mission was, to go spread the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you went. And he says, that Christ died for our sins. There's the first element of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Pretty basic, right? There, did you realize there's people that don't know that? They think Jesus is a good role model? They think Jesus is someone else than what is uh, can, uh, taught in Scripture? Uh, and let me just say this, as, you, as we get into the elements of the gospel, uh, there are false gospels out there. Uh, I know many people caught up in a false gospel. What's a false gospel? A false gospel is, is, a gospel, is, is the good news that's not really good news. It's the good news that somehow they say, well, Jesus is either, because we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. They'll say, well, Jesus is either fully God and not man or fully man and not God. And either one of those is wrong. That's a false gospel. If they're off on the person of Jesus Christ, they're off of the gospel. It's not the true gospel that we find in our Bibles. 
Or they might be off in the work of the... Remember, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Maybe they're off in the work of Jesus. Rather than his atoning sacrificial death on the cross to pay for all of our sins, maybe they add something to it or they change it a little bit and say, well, he had to pay for his sins. Well, if he, Jesus had to pay for his sins, it's not good news. Because that means he paid for his sins. And Paul, will, Paul addresses that, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But, but maybe they actually just added something to the gospel. Well, the, the good news is Jesus died for the sins of the world. Plus, you have to be a really good person to please God. Does that sound familiar? I think that's what I believed. I don't know if I would have phrased it that way, but I think I, I might have. I might have said, you know, Jesus died to open the gates of heaven. But I have to be, a good, I have to be a, a good boy, a good young man, to walk through the gate. I have to earn my way into heaven. That is not the gospel. Everything necessary to walk through those pearly gates, if there ever is such a thing as pearly gates, or, or St. Peter standing at the gates, whatever story you've ever heard, the only thing necessary to enter into God's presence is the finished work of Jesus Christ. He did it all. That's the gospel. And if you add good works onto it, you have a false gospel. If you somehow take away from the work of Christ, you have a false gospel. And all this is going on in the world around us. That's why we have false gospels. We have false prophets. There's false Christs. There's all, there's all kinds of things out there that are false. We need to focus on what's true. And the truth is what Paul delivers here to the Corinthians, I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. He hung there on that cross for our sins, not his. He's our substitute on that cross. But notice the next phrase. He says, in accordance with Scripture. This means that somehow what Paul is saying, that in the Old Testament Scriptures, this truth can be seen. That's why I picked Isaiah 53 as a scripture reading today. And I appreciate John's comment. If you ever wanted to see Jesus in the Old Testament, turn to Isaiah 53 and, and elsewhere. But certainly it is, it is a wonderful text. It's in accordance with scripture. This isn't plan B of God. This is plan A. Jesus Christ dying for sinners. It goes on in verse 4. It says that he was buried. This is a second element of the gospel that, we, that Paul is saying. That first of all, Christ died. There's that death, and his death was ugly. It was brutal. It was, it was hideous in many ways, right? He was marred. Uh, he was, uh, you couldn't even tell he was a man. And then he says in verse 4 that he was buried. Listen, don't skip over this little tidbit, these last few words when you're going through the gospel. Let people know that Jesus Christ not only died on the cross, but that he was buried. Why is that important? Because people don't believe the gospel. They think it's fiction. They think it's myth. They think it's just a story that someone's telling to make us feel good. I don't feel good when I think about a guy being crucified on the cross and blood streaming down from all his pores and his head and his hands and his feet. I don't feel good about that. But I tell you, people do understand this. Dead people are buried. And Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ. First thing is that Christ, the first element, Christ died for our sins. Second element, he was buried. Tell people he was buried because they understand that. Thirdly, that he was raised on the third day. This is preposterous for most people. This was an, an offense. Uh, uh, this is the offense of the gospel back in Jesus' day, right? Or I should say the first century after Jesus' resurrection, right? It was a stumbling block. What do you mean he resurrected? Dead people are buried. They don't resurrect. That's the good news. It's the good news is that death could not hold him. 
And that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. And, and on the third day, and notice this, it also has the, the caveat on it, in accordance with Scripture. God has been working His plan from day one. And the truth of the gospel has been there for people to see. And that was the offense of all the religious people of Jesus' day. They knew the Scriptures. They didn't understand Him. And when the Christ walked into their presence, the Messiah, the Deliverer, when He walked into their presence and, and He was extending them the offer of forgiveness of their sins, they, 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 they did like Ricky. Right? I love it when he does that, right? It's so true. They missed it. Folks, we don't want people to miss the gospel. It's good news. It's good news, and one of the good news aspects of it is this third point. There's only one gospel, the uniqueness. This, this, this is the only true of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is only one gospel that has irrefutable witness. There are false gospels out there that we can refute. We can pick them apart. It's easy. If you know your scriptures, it's easy. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, notice what Paul writes. He says, uh, he says listen, this gospel that he just gave all the elements, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all in accordance with scripture. He says, and then he appeared to Cephas, verse 5. That's Peter. Then the 12, 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul is saying, listen, there's, there's this, this reality to the true gospel. God made sure people knew it happened. It started with an individual, right? As we know, it was uh, uh, Peter and, and, and many, but he, he, he appeared to Peter, then the twelve, right? As we look at this, we don't have all the necessarily, the gospel doesn't account for every one of these statements, uh, but I want to bring your attention to the 500. There are not 500 people in this room, but if Jesus Christ, or uh, let me just back up a second. If someone died and was buried, and we all knew it, we were here in the open casket ceremony, because we know what death is, and we all attended the burial service, and the next Sunday morning, that person was walking around. It would get our attention. And we would all be able to tell everybody else around, no, I saw it. Right? Well, put yourself in this scenario, because that's what, that's what Paul is, is telling the Corinthians. Listen, listen. This, this, the, the reality of the gospel, it's irrefutable witness. We have over 500 people. Now, one of, the, one of the aspects of this that I really like is he mentions that some of these people have already died. That becomes very important as we talk about the rest of the chapter. There were probably those within the Corinthian, uh, con- the Corinthian church hearing this word that are probably like, yeah, yeah, I had a loved one who died. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. He or she, man, woman, child, and they're dead. I, and I don't fully understand this, this gospel thing and how it's, I, it's so painful. And Paul says, listen, some of these witnesses, some of the ones that were here, uh, some of them have died. What does the gospel mean for them? Well, then they can apply that to their own life. And maybe you have loved ones who have, have already gone from this life into the next. You know, what does the gospel mean? Well, notice what Paul says in, in, in these verses. He says, um, he says, all this appearance took place, but, but uh, there are some that have just fallen asleep 
they will resurrect. He's going to spend the rest of the chapter talking about resurrection. And he says, but last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is Paul saying very clearly, listen, I, it's, in Paul's mind, I think it really, it's absurd that God saved me. You ever felt that way? You look at your life before you came to faith in Christ and you say, my life is an absurdity. There's no reason that God should have loved me the way he did and saved me from my sin and forgiven me for all the wrong that I have done. And Paul's just saying, listen, listen, I'm like one untimely born. In other words, not born in, the, uh, in time, right? Either a preborn or, or uh, a premature baby or, or uh, maybe highly premature. We need to pray, by the way. There's a, uh, there's a baby Jacob is one of the prayer requests that we have on, um, on our morning prayer time every, every morning at 630, uh, Monday through Friday. And and we've been praying for baby Jacob, who's probably not much bigger than my hand. And, uh, and, and you know what? He was untimely born. He was born premature. And, uh, and there are consequences to come to that. My wife worked in the neonatal intensive care for years. And I've seen many of these babies. And when you see a normal baby, I mean, when I say normal, I should, uh, uh, a full-size baby, a normal-sized baby, and they look like giants, Right? And here's little baby Jacob. We need to keep praying for baby Jacob, all right, that God would continue to preserve his life. Paul just says, look at me. I'm, I'm one untimely born. He appeared to me. Go figure that. And then he, and then he really goes on to, this last, to make this last point, which is there is only one gospel, but by God's grace, that's, I should have put that in all capitals, but by God's grace, there are many preachers. Paul says in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But let's not miss the point. He is an apostle. He is called an apostle. He is an apostle. But Paul's just saying, listen, it's absurd that I'm an apostle. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy, because I persecuted the church. He affirmed the death of people who called themselves Christians, or at least called were uh, uh, people who, are, who, who identified with the way, which is one way that uh, Christians were referred to. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul just takes this little segment here to, to highlight this grace activity that takes place in a life of someone who's come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me whether then, uh, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul's just telling his, his, his story. He's just sharing a little bit of his story. And he highlights this idea of grace. It is by grace you are saved, through faith, right? It's not of works. So there's works you could boast about. It. You could pray, hey, I'm good enough. I'm, uh, yeah, you've got to go to all those sacramental things. You've got to do all that stuff. I, I'm just good. I made it in my own merit. False gospel. Paul says, listen, no, there's no way. As religious as I was, God's grace saved me. God's grace sustains me. Paul was able to, to say that, his, that God's grace was not in vain. He lived out, he lived out the gospel, and the gospel sustained him. And, and then he says that his grace was, uh, it worked in his life, and it works in, 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 in all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. It'll work in our lives. But notice what he says there. He says at the very end, verse 11, whether then it was I or there, so we preach and so you believe. This is, the, this is the way the gospel progresses, right? God's grace means simply this. You don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve salvation. Nobody deserves salvation. But salvation is available to all 
to all if they will come to faith in Jesus Christ through the one gospel that has been revealed to us, been given to us, it's been believed on, and it is actively working in lives. And I invite you, let it continually act, Christians, in your life. For those of you that have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, allow life to be sprung up in you by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So listen, Paul is just saying, whether it doesn't matter if I spoke it or someone else, so we preach and so we believe. So that's how I phrase this. There's only one gospel, but by God's grace, there are many preachers. And that idea of preachers, don't get stumbled. Don't stumble on that. That's, that's what Paul's saying. So we preach and so you believe. This idea, Paul's saying, we're all in this together. No matter who's preaching the gospel, no matter who's speaking the gospel into your life, people are believing the gospel. If Merrimack Valley Baptist Church chooses to have the deposit placed into all our individual lives and we choose to allow it to just sit there, right? It's not going to earn interest. It's not going to do a darn thing, if I can say that from the pulpit, right? It's not going to do anything. It's just going to sit there. And this church will eventually shrink and die. The church overall will continue to, because why? Because there are believers out there who are, who are faithful to live out the gospel daily in their life. Am I saying you were a bad church? Not at all. We've done many, many things in the name of the gospel, and we should never, ever stop. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So folks, listen, if you have had the grace of God, if you, excuse me, if you have the gospel of God that's been, that's been entrusted into you, right, guard it exercise it, whatever you want to do. Live it out. Because when we consider this big idea, this is for us as believers. The gospel saves a life. For what purpose? So that the lives of others can be saved. Let's not be silent. Let's be loud with our words and our life because God will be glorified.